This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowships. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. The title of our message today is Deceptions Women Believe. If you would please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, and we are going to start right there at verse 1. Now, as we read this passage, I do ask that you please, please pay special attention. I know you have heard this passage before. You've probably read it more times than you could count. Um... It is the uh, dialogue that goes on between between, uh, Satan and Eve. And it has been preached on and re-preached on, but we are going to extract a couple dynamic pieces of truth out of this that maybe your heart has never contemplated before. So... All that to say, please try to read between the lines as we go through this passage. Verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And the term crafty there is where we also get the term witchcraft, divination, sorcery. The enemy is one who is crafting something or replicating something that already exists. That's what witchcraft is. It's reinventing the wheel. Instead of accepting the sovereignty of God's perfect created design, it is reinventing. And that's where craftiness comes in. It's not accepting the the existing object in front of you that God created. So now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. So it's like, why would he have to be crafty if he had already made it? He doesn't. But the enemy does reinvent the wheel. He does try to present a newer, fresher form of life to add something that doesn't need to be added. It's kind of like putting ice cream on top of your apple pie. It's nice, but it really doesn't need to be there. And that's what craftiness is. It's adding to something that is already made. And then he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said? So he comes right out with quoting God. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but Satan has no ability to form his own words. He has no ability to come up with an original thought. He has no ability to create on his own. That's why it has to be craftiness. If you have a craft table, if I remember correctly, what usually is on the table? Jess? You have existing things all over this table. You're not sitting there creating stickers. They are there. The the objects are on the table. And this is exactly what's being presented to us in the Hebrew. There's a craft table. The, the, The things that already have been made are on the table. Satan is now going to take these things and put them in different positions so they communicate something a little bit different but yet the same. So he says, you shall not eat. He's repeating what God said, but this is not exactly what God said. And He says, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden, with a question mark. Well, that's, that's a little bit crafty. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. 
But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, least you die. Now, let's back up here a bit and, and take a look at what God has made. This is not a, a sermon on, on creationism. This is a sermon on taking the existence of creation and taking a look at how this being is crafting a different angle which throws it into sorcery, throws it into deception. So, God created this earth. He actually created Adam outside of the garden, not in the garden. And once he created Adam, and he said, he said now, I'm going to put you into the garden. So he puts Adam into the garden, and he says, work it. So what's critical for men before a woman is to work. So he starts working. And in the formation of this garden, he, God, puts a tree of sin in the middle of the garden. We are designed by God to always go to centricity, the center. Some people like centricity as they're centering lamps and they're it's in us to, to focus, to get to the center of things. <laughs> Here God puts this tree of sin in the middle of the garden. Just knowing that there's going to be this desire to fulfill centricity inside of this woman. That's exactly where she goes. Satan was not roaming about the garden seeking whom he can devour. He was in the tree. Bound to the tree. And was not about to be released from the tree. So she was lured to the centerness. She was lured to because of this creation inner of, of centricity. Getting to the center. There's even religions out there that focus on centricity. Centeredness, self-centeredness, be your own God, and it goes on and on and on. That what is what is being shown to us, the centricity of sin. And God put the tree of sin in the middle of the garden. Where is the tree of life? Clear off to the other side of the garden. Was not... Like some pictures portray it, the, the tree of knowledge in the center and the tree of life right off to the left. No. We've already talked about how a lot of Jewish, Orthodox Jewish scholars believe that the tree of life was literally on top of the hill where the dome of the rock, dome over the rock, sits to this very day. I believe that, by the way. I believe what the Jews believe that that hill is where the tree of life was. And I do believe that the tree of knowledge is off over in Iraq somewhere. Probably around Babylon area, my guess would be. So this wasn't like a small, tiny little garden here. This was a massive garden. And God's saying, you can eat from any tree in this garden. But don't eat from the tree that is in the absolute center of the garden. And that's exactly where she went. We have to talk about that. Because that will happen in everyday life, day after day after day. But see, there's no sin in Eve at this point. So was it sinful to her to be Attracted to centricity? No. Not at all. Then is God playing a little mind game here? Is God setting her up to fall? No. 
So there is a very, very strategic piece of truth that God is showing us in this short little passage. Verse 2 says, And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. So it wasn't putting it into her mouth and digesting. If she literally even touched it, she was going to die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. Now, was the serpent telling the truth or was he lying? Telling the truth or lying? Maybe a white lie? Some truth in it, but not the whole story. Exactly. See, Satan cannot create any of his own language. He cannot even form one word in his own mouth. He has no original thoughts. All thoughts are birthed from God. Now, Satan can take those thoughts and reorganize them or give you about half of them. And the fact is, is that after Eve touched the fruit and she put it in her mouth and she ate the fruit, she did not die. In fact, she lived many, many, many years after that. So he told the truth. Where does the lie come in? Rebellion, if you remember, a few couple months ago, I shared with you the Hebrew uh, definition for rebellion, and it is cutting of the cord between a mother and a child. Rebellion is detachment from the belly. So what happened to Eve is that God reached down and he cut the umbilical cord between God and her. So it was only a matter of time until she dies. But the way we were designed by God is not to have the umbilical cord cut. We're to go all the way through life having a life source poured into us without even thinking about it, without even trying without even working at it. It was a life flow that just happened like a woman provides life to a child. We were to be in an, in an eternal state of, of being in the womb. But see, that decision that Satan obviously knew if he presented half of the truth, the person hearing half of the truth is about to buy all the lie. The only way you can buy the full lie is to buy half of the truth. Satan knows that. Satan never, ever lies up front. He tells you the truth. Truth, truth, lie is what the, uh, the Masonic Temple people put in their original scripts. They said if you want to deceive someone or get these people to follow us, you tell them the truth, tell them the truth, and then you lie to them. It's called a conspiracy. That is a technique of the enemy. Tell the truth, and they will eat the truth because people are starving for truth and then lie to them. But better yet, let's let them discover their own, the other half on their own. And that's what happened. Satan never really did say, gotcha, you little stinker. He just let the other half unfold itself. So verse 4 says, And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. Verse 5, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, a lot of people have preached that there was no evil during this time. You want to bet? What do you think? Why do you think that Satan was on the earth? It's because he birthed evil in his own heart by rebellion, 
detach him from the belly of God in heaven. And God removed him and placed him not on the earth, not in the garden, but in the tree in the middle of the garden of all of creation. To make a very simple point. Verse 6 says, And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes. And by the way, did Satan create that tree that way? He can't create anything. He can't even turn the green leaves brown. God made that fruit beautiful. God's the one that created everything for the purpose of giving the choice between yes, I will obey God the Father, no, I will not obey God the Father. All of God's motives and reasons and why he did that is none of my business. I can try to preach on it all day long, but I don't know God's motives on why he created this tree in the middle of the garden and put poison fruit on it that looked absolutely beautiful and desirous. That's not my call. I just know he did it. And Satan has no ability to create. So then, she took from the fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And they both finish the rest of the lie. They start out with the truth, and they finish the lie. And the both of them realized very quickly that they were naked and ashamed, and they went and grabbed a bunch of fig leaves or some kind of leaves, and they covered themselves. And once they covered themselves, shame started to take its course, and we are going to take now a healthy look at exactly what that shame does. Like I said, this is not a sermon on creation. This is not a sermon on the fall. This is a sermon on the deception that entered into the hearts of man and woman after that fruit was ingested and touched. So, let's talk about them being banished from the garden. After they ate this fruit and they covered themselves, uh, to give you a quick review, God came into the garden in the cool of the day and he said, Adam, why art thou hiding? And so Adam comes out from behind the bush and he says, well, I was afraid of you. So fear became one of the number one things that ruled Adam's heart and Eve's heart after the fall. So when you have sinned, one of the first things that will happen with your children is fear of getting in trouble by the authority figure. So if the husband is the authority figure of the home and the woman is manipulated or done something that she feels bad about, that she knew that she shouldn't or whatever, that is going to enter into the marriage and that is the fear of telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. What is she going to do? She's going to tell half the truth and then let the rest be a lie. The very pattern that was used on her is the pattern she will use on him. There's nothing new under the sun here. There's not a new pattern that developed. What was used on her is what she used on Adam. What was used on her is what Cain used on Abel. He only told half of it. And on and on and on until this day where you're sitting here listening to this message. So God deals with Adam. God deals with Eve. God deals with Satan. And then he says, 
to the us, they were talking amongst the us, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it says, for we must remove them from the garden or they will eat from the tree of life. Well, I would think well, that's what you would want after all this deal. No. No eating from the tree of life until Jesus Christ comes and restores them to the Father. Because if you eat from the tree of life, before you get saved, people are going to think you're saved and you'll still go to hell in a handbasket. Do you understand that? That's exactly what is happening in our nation, in our world today. There are people preaching and teaching like they are eating from the tree of life and they are not reconnected to the Father. They're still going to hell while they're preaching the gospel. Millions of people are doing it. That is why God banished them from the garden. No eating from this tree of life until I bring the Redeemer. Then you may eat from the tree of life and eat from it abundantly. Puts a pretty special heavy emphasis on true salvation. So banished from the garden, you can but imagine how Adam and Eve felt, particularly Eve at this time, because she is processing this decision that she is she had made. Adam was obviously processing the decision he had made, and God is saying, "Get out." It is the same illustration of if this piece of carpet here is the Garden of Eden, and God is saying. As the righteous father, I can't share this with you anymore. In heaven, God the Father, Satan, Lucifer at the time was his name, he decided to rebellion, and God said, Out! I can't share this with you anymore. I can only share this with righteousness. So off he went. Adam and Eve off and that's why when you handle when you bring this all the way into handling family life traditionally the way it used to be is if a son rose up against his father his father said gone be gone from my farm because the protection of that garden that temple that tabernacle that holy dwelling place became the most significant priority for God from the beginning and I believe to the very end. And that will be why Christ comes back. Because people will be running around on this piece of carpet thinking that they're holy and just and saved and, and all that stuff and eating all the fruit from the tree of righteousness and in reality it's nothing but adultery and idolatry. And Christ comes to clean off the carpet again, once and for all. That's the seriousness of, of, of from the beginning to the, to the end, the alpha to the omega. This is a serious thing for God to keep the camp clean, holy. Now, if you're born again, you can actually be on the carpet and sin. And that redemption will clean you while you're on the carpet. You don't have to run out and then come back in and run out. And then, that's like getting saved and then unsaved. And then, now I know there's some churches that believe that, but no, it's while you're on the carpet. The beauty of that. But see, they couldn't do that yet because redemption had not been offered. It will be. So, off they were, out of the garden. God put an angel at the gate with a flaming sword so that they could not get back in that garden. And just because a flood came, I still believe that the parameter of the garden is, is there. And I believe there's a flaming sword because if you look in Revelation, the sword gets pulled out of the, out of the ground. Floods don't stop angels. So all that still is, is present. 
but they must have felt alone, defeated, like big, big fat failures as they say, taken advantage of by the enemy, angry because they were manipulated into making this choice. Well, women of our day are absolutely no different. The enemy has not come up with any new ways to lie to our women. He continues to use the same lies to destroy the design and structure of God the Father. Women today have been noted to feel the following adjectives. Exhausted, burned out, overwhelmed, confused, frustrated, discouraged, lonely, fearful, emotionally spent, manipulated, without rights, unappreciated, lacking in support, and abused. Do you want to see the fire of a woman? Abuse her. You take every one of these adjectives and you place an action by them. For example, exhausted. How does a woman act when she's exhausted? How does a woman act when she's burned out? How does a woman act when she is overwhelmed? But here's the interesting thing that, that you guys and you gals need to take into consideration here is that after all 14 of these things get manifested into a woman's life, there's someone that gets blamed. Who? Who classically gets blamed? The man. Adam. Now, should have Adam stepped in and said, Eve, don't you dare touch that fruit and scare her into not taking the fruit or was even there at the moment that all that happened and then he saw it and then joined her we don't know it's not our call but what we do know is that from what we learn by working with people now is when women feel these things they turn on the man when in reality it should be the man turning on the woman if you wanted to be fair and pointing out who did it first. But that's not going to do any good either. Because we'd have to turn around and point the finger at the enemy. And that's why there was no question offered to Satan. There was just punishment given to him instantly. Phase one of his punishment. But when men engage a woman who puts actions after every single one of these and when he comes home from work or when he comes home or when he comes back into her life, whatever the case may be, and he's getting the actions of how she's feeling because of Satan lying to her, he knows that the, the man is going to want to banish from the home. He's not going to want to be a part of that. And he may have his suitcase full of sin too. He's still going to banish. Then she's even more bitter because how many homes in America, what's the percentage of homes in America that do not have the father and mother in the same home? I think it's in the 80s or something. So, this is because of this. And what does she do? She doesn't stay home and become a, a, a godly homeschool mother. She has to run off into the work world and become productive, which increases the cycle, which increases more mothers having to feel this way, which increases more problems in marriages, which increases so forth and so on until you do not have a normal family within a community. That's what's happened. Satan knows it works. He knows the banishing thing works because it's God's technique. You sin, you get out of heaven. You sin, you get out of the garden. You sin, you leave my farm. You sin, you leave the marriage. You sin... That is what works. But you see, God always wants to restore the prodigal son back to the farm. 
God wants to restore Adam and Eve back to righteousness. God wants to restore his children back to himself. But Satan doesn't want that spoken of. So all we hear is the nasties right there. Any woman who feels those 14 things, she will become an independent woman. She will become a feminist. Because every emotion demands an action. And every one of these have actions. You want to know how a woman acts when she's fearful? Well, it's what one of you said last week in the sermon. She becomes controlling. And on and on and on and on. Feelings are for actions. So once you look at the ramifications of a woman believing lies, you will quickly see the reason Satan never lets up on the woman. When Satan has, uh, is able to deceive the woman, he has complete assurance that he will be able to reach the men and the children of all generations. Women are more significant conduits to mankind than they are willing to embrace. What is a conduit? So if there was a conduit between, if what would I need, Phil, to apply, clamp on some electricity on one end for it to reach something or someone on the other end without connecting the electricity directly to them because I can't get across that pad to clamp it there? What would I need to get the electricity over there? A piece of metal. Conduit. Get that electricity to travel through that conduit so it, it zaps. And that's exactly the illustration in the Hebrew that's being given to us here. The woman is a conduit. She's, 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 she can be charged. She can be activated. She can be, she can be used to bring either destruction or she can be used to bring life. So as she can literally be used as a conduit of the Holy Spirit moving through her to activate her husband's leadership and her children's responsibilities, or she can be used as a conduit to literally zap her husband and her children. I cannot tell you over 34 years of counseling how many times I've heard a woman say it's not fair. Why does God always address the woman first? Conduit. You can fight it all you want. If you don't want to be a conduit, die. Because it's the only way to be freed from your role. A woman is a conduit. She is what is used by God to empower to bring power to the man, to bring power to the children, to bring power to the carpet, to the land. So when you read the Proverbs 31 woman, you just read about this significant conduit. Passageway of power to the land. It says here in Ezekiel, because with lies you have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad, and Strengthen the hands of the wicked that he should not return from his wicked way by promising him life. Therefore, you women will no longer see false visions or practice divination, and I will deliver my people out of your hand. He is literally speaking to the woman in regarding to this issue of the conduit. That that is what is being addressed. This is, this is thus says the Lord. This is not a nasty thing. This should be of a great encouragement to women to understand that they can literally make a righteous heart sad. They can take that man when he comes in from a weather-beaten day and cheek and make him sad because of the lies the false visions, the fearful responses. She can make righteousness sad 
instead of lifting him up or lifting the children up, providing power and encouragement. This is a beautiful thing here to realize that a woman has the power to bless and empower men, not just husbands, men in general and children in general. It's the way that you are made. The consequences of Christian women embracing lies of the devil are they strengthen the hands of worldly women. That's kind of kind of obvious. They begin to believe anger is a healthy emotion. Well, I need to express how I feel. Hostility vented is hostility given permission. There's a popular belief in pop psychology today, and that is that you need to vent what you think. You need to vent what you feel. You need to get rid of those emotions. It used to be a thing when I was going through school of, of rage therapy where you would have your, your patients beat up on things with, with these foam bats and beating in pillows and, or having the husband hold the pillow and the wife would beat it. And, you know, getting this emotion out and it's granting permission to sin when God says, hold your tongue. Well, if you tell someone to hold their tongue when they're all upset, they feel suppressed. Off the carpet. Don't throw up on the carpet. You see, that's what we have to do. We have to preserve the righteousness of a home. Don't, don't vent this to me. Go away and get your heart right and let's come back and talk about this. So this thing here is huge to the enemy. Pop psychology is one of his primary venues of destruction. Because it makes sense to vent how you feel. I don't trust my feelings, not for a second. They're here today and gone tomorrow. I've had people unreconciled in relationships for 30 plus years, and three seconds after they agree to do what they're told, they're free. Three seconds, I was wrong. Six seconds, if you really want to belabor it, will you forgive me? After 30 years of bound up emotion, that they've expressed hundreds of times? When God just says, say I was wrong. Will you forgive me? That's it. Three seconds. They place boundaries. Remember when that book, Boundaries, came out? Oh, I cannot tell you how that affected counseling cases I had particularly in the city. It was a huge, popular book about setting boundaries, not letting people get on your personal space. And, you know, and they would do certain things or say certain, certain things and you would set boundaries in your relationship with that person. It's evil. It is literally blocking... God from using all things working together for the good. Setting boundaries puts the woman in a power position. This is not just for women, it's for all Christians. They're not to have boundaries, they're to say yes when it's to be yes, and no when it is to be no. So if you want to call that boundaries, okay, write a book on that one. So if God does not, you know that God does not want you to say yes to something that is obviously righteous and they want you to do something unrighteous, you go, no. It's not boundaries. It's just, no, I will not commit that sin. That might have been the original tension of the movement, but it's not the way it ended up. What it did is it gave the person the decision of what was out of bounds because of the way it made them feel. 
Instead of, I will not choose to sin for anyone. Refusing uh, to be submissive because they have been hurt. It's a very common one, obviously. Infidelity, believe a woman is free to divorce when a man hurts them. That's just obviously run rampant today. Their new behavior stops other women from repeating, uh, repenting of their worldly ways. And then they will see false visions. And when you when you read false visions, what comes to your mind? Seriously. Because that's one of the things the Lord addresses. No more false visions. Okay, very good. So, if I ask, and I have, believe me, many more times than I want to admit, in counseling I have slid my Bible in front of a, a, a person, it's usually the lady because of circumstances, and I have her read, for I, the Lord God, hate divorce. So I'll have them read that out loud, and so they read it out loud, and they're contemplating divorce. That's the topic of the counseling session. And so I say, okay, now, will God ever put his approval on something that God hates? You cannot step on this carpet with that philosophy. No vain philosophy. I hate it. Well, the response I've gotten more than once is, God does not want me to be unhappy. And I'm telling you, the number that that statement, that particular statement comes out of people's mouth. It's like it's got to come from some resource somewhere. To have everyone saying the same thing, God does not want me unhappy. You want to bet my life is filled with unhappiness. Every day. But joy is a different story. I'm to consider it all joy, my brethren, when I endure various trials. Happiness is an emotion. Because that is what the enemy is doing to the church, is saying, God doesn't want any of you unhappy, so therefore it's okay to do these things. Tend to uh, practice witchcraft, self-made answers empowered by Satan. And that's what that is, is a self-made answer. Falls under craftiness. Falls under divination. Divination is also where the word divisiveness comes from. Divisiveness is, is also where it comes from false vision. Double vision. So they're all connected. And it's out of that verse that we just read. So really, false visions, division is two visions. You're not able, your eyes are no, no longer able to do, like right now, I'm seeing two images of everything. Is that correct? According to science? Yes. What does my mind do? Puts them in one vision. We are literally born with double vision. Sorcery. Sin. Division. Always wanting division. Always wanting to argue. It is only redemption through Jesus Christ, Christ in us, the mind of Christ in us, Philippians 2.2, 2, that puts it into one focus. We are literally made to share the gospel. So when you have this going on inside your household, that marriage cannot survive. Whenever you hear a man say one thing and a wife say another, there's going to be witchcraft and sorcery. Someone's going to make something up. Two visions. I'm seeing double here. God has designed a man and a woman, and if that woman understands that she's seeing one thing, her husband's seeing another, she should never part from God's truth to join her husband's vision. That is the second most common error made in marriages. 
She is to keep her eyes set upon the vision of Christ and wait and pray and wait and pray and wait and pray and wait and pray until he aligns his vision with the vision of the wife. That's how it's supposed to be done. Or she's jumping on, or he is jumping on her righteous position in sin. Now before I move on, I want to make sure everyone understands what I just said. Because it sounds divisive. It sounds double vision what I just told you. You're a counselor and someone comes into your office and says, who is supposed to be submitting to her husband because he has authority over her. And she says, what in the world am I supposed to do when my husband wants me to mess around with some stuff that is immoral and uh, blah, 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 but I have to submit to him. What should the Christian counselor say to this woman? So why in God's name, literally, would Eve take that fruit? She's she's a full-on, full-born sinner now. Why would she take that fruit and willingly hand it to her husband. Sin always demands unity. Always, always, always demands unity. Righteousness always, always demands separation. God himself said he's going to send his son to separate the goats from the sheep the righteous from the unrighteous. When you have a wife who is joining her husband with his thing, he does not know he is unrighteous. She needs to walk in purity. And the reason why we're picking on her is because this is the most common scenario. Most men are out there doing whatever it is they want to do for whatever the reasons are. She's never to deviate from that one single line vision of seeking out and centering her affections on Jesus Christ. If he feels lonely, go back to that other list, lonely, set aside, rejected, all those things, yes, you should. It is those things that lead the person to righteousness. Our emergent church movement is removing the list. So there's no feeling of separation anymore in marriages or in countries or in churches. There's no feelings of separation. We cast out more common denominators that God uses to lead people to Christ by projecting them out as demonic attacks and standing against them. And God is saying, I need those things in place to lead them to Christ. And I need you, woman, to be have your eyes fixed on me, immovable, refusing to step out and become like the other women who braid their hair and gold jewelry and fancy clothes and all that stuff. Just follow me. Pray and lead this man to the word without a word, but by your just and pure behavior, because he will want to follow just and pure behavior in due time. That's how it works. Works for men and women, but women really it works is because they're conduits. So why does Christ pick on the women so much in the New Testament? Well, you haven't been reading your Old Testament. Because he picks on them in the Old Testament too. Why? Because they're conduits. You're a conduit. You are the one that has the ability to lead the children and the husband to Christ Jesus. As a conduit. Can it work the other way? Of course it can. But that's not as common to have the man saved and the woman off acting unsaved. It's happening more and more. But it's usually been the other way. 
Here's the step-by-step -step progression or regression to bondage. You stand close to the enemy, tree of knowledge, wanting to know more information than is necessary. Too much information. Remember, all information requires feelings. All feelings require actions. More information you get, the more feelings you get about it. Well, Satan knows this. He wants you at the tree of knowledge asking too many questions. One of the most grievous things in life is to say no to a woman. If she's asking you about information, you just say, well, I'm not going to share that with you right now. I don't think you need to know it. <sighs> Fear. Control. See what I mean? Christ tells me less when I am curious. He tells me more when I'm not. Because when I'm curious, that is a sin. That is to know because I got to know. Whereas to rest and have him speak to me because there's no real reason for me to know it unless he wants me to know it. That's beautiful. So just think that through a little bit and you'll see how this flows. Then, seeing a lie as good, just kind of picture her standing there by the tree of more information. Seeing that lie is good. Well, you know, God did. God did say that. Well, yeah, either God did say that because Satan can't come up with his own sentence. He's absolutely stupid. He has no ability to formulate words. He has no original thoughts. So, of course, God said it. But he's just not telling you everything God said, which is what forms the deception. Listening to the lie, dwelling on the lie, attempting to find out the good fruit within that lie. It's like holding on to that. We watched a movie last night about dandelion blowing. Dan What's it called again? Dandelion blues. What? Like dandelion dust. There's a line in there, even though I'm not saying this movie is not a Christian movie, but, you know, they say it is. But there's this moment of deception in this movie that drives me crazy. I've seen it twice now. And the mother passes this dandelion over to the little boy and says, Now there's a wish inside the dandelion, and if you blow the dandelion, it sets the wish free. Well, there's nothing righteous about that statement. And it is all about what we're talking about right here. It's kind of cool. Kind of makes sense. It's kind of got some truth to it. But it's not right. You see? That's how enemy works. This is, it's okay. It's not an evil, wicked thing that she was doing. But instead of saying, son, if you lean on Jesus Christ and you know, took advantage of that moment for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that'd be different. But it turned emergent on me. You know how fussy I am about that stuff. Because I think like this. I think in, in the step by step, where is this person at in this process? And then believe the lie, exchange the command for this lie. In other words, God said, thou shalt not even touch it. Don't even, don't even let him put it in your hand to examine the truth inside the lie. The swap is made, acting upon the lie, and then getting others to join you. You want to know why most women want their husbands upset when they come home from work? Is because they feel like emotionally wrung out, desperate 
housewives. They do. They're just they're just they're just worn out and they want company. Because sin demands unity. And it usually gets it. Instead of taking those moments and clearing up your day-to-day walk, this is for the guy coming in the house and the woman preparing for the guy coming in the house. Or if the guy's never around and the woman has to be that conduit for her children. Same thing. It is hard. There's no happiness in Christianity, not that I have found. It's extremely difficult. But boys are a lot of joy. Covering the consequences with self-protection. You get someone to argue about their sin, they're already guilty. I check the box in my mind and go on to the next session. I do. Anytime you get that defensive thing going, you just check the box. They're down the list. They're at the bottom. Okay. Now, you can get a copy of of uh, this list. We're going to post it online so you can go there and get it. But uh, we also can run this into the copier and, and get a copy of today's slides for you. We can do that every Sunday, in fact. So, because uh, I know there's a lot of content here. But I want to quickly run down these lies that women do tend to believe from the enemy. First one up here is God the Father doesn't care about women. They're second class. They're second rated. The truth is over here. Hopefully, as you hear me preach, I love preaching from this list. No matter what the topic is. I am very guarded for women. I'm very protective for women. And I am very quick to lift women up in their, into their proper position. But I am not afraid to talk about their lies, whether it's a sermon we're doing on it or not. Because I understand how the enemy works. The woman is a conduit. Why would he come up with another conduit when this one works just fine? You see? Number two, God the Father doesn't really love me. Hey, if you want to get, see a woman do some funky stuff, when she doesn't feel like she's loved by her daddy, she doesn't feel like she's being loved by her husband, she's going to go find some love. True? In all the wrong places, usually. And again, here's the truth. God the Father just uh, is just like my father. Very common. Well, of course it's common because we're... Where else would you get your perspective of God the Father? From reading the Bible that 67% of the world can't even read? No, probably not. It would be from your daddies. So, if he is treating her a certain way, she's obviously going to look to the Father as being that way. Thus you have the verse, the last verse, in the Old Testament that says, there will come a day or he will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Least I come and smite your land with a curse. It's all about daddies and the daughters. Daddies and the sons. Or he's going to just literally torch this whole planet for that one reason. This right here. He doesn't love me. Not true, of course. God the Father is like my husband. Well, it's the same message. Truth of the matter is, he's, not, he's nothing like him. Well, maybe not nothing. That's probably a little extreme. And then God the Father isn't enough. I think that's one that Nancy Lee DeMoss uses quite a bit. If he's not enough, then you have to finish it up somewhere, right? Fill the cup up somewhere else. And then God the Father looks at women as lesser than man. I just have a feeling when I get to heaven, I'm going to learn how beautiful and glorious God's view of women really is. Because he has taken such special care 
of just women because he already knows his son is the best of the best. So I got a feeling that his view of women is really, really special. Very special. And I think Satan knows that. And then God the Father, uh, we just did that one. God the Father is tougher on women. Well, you probably need to at least read the first four chapters of Genesis. It is not the case. He is far tougher on the men, and there's a reason for that. And then I deserve to be loved, and that is the opposite of I'm not feeling that love, so therefore I am going to demand to be loved. And the number one way that women usually demand to be loved is to be recognized. That's why the braided hair, the jewelry, and the clothing. They want to be seen. And just by seeing that affection starts meeting the needs, whereas for men, when they see a woman who wants to be seen, it communicates something else to him. But to her, that's not the case. Her just being seen satisfies affection. Not him. That opens the door for affection. See the, the, the bondage that gets created there? It's called adultery. Because that guy thinks every woman who's, who's saying, hello, I'm over here, look how I'm dressed, is saying, come on over. That is not the case. So Satan knows that is the truth. But he doesn't want men and women to discover that. So I have rights as a woman. No, you don't. He who demands his rights always gets a wrong. Men don't even have rights. Humans do not have rights. And then uh, physical uh, appearance is more important than her inner beauty. That's kind of what we were just talking about. Of course, that's what 1 Peter chapter 3 is all about. And then uh, God doesn't expect me to live without unfulfilled longing or to be happy. We already talked about that one. And I take the leadership of men because they simply will not. I think that's huge in our society. And that's a tough one to actually counsel around because there's a lot of ladies that are left with some kids and the guy's out there doing whatever he wants to do and she's got to work. It's, it's a, it's, we're in a mess. Church doesn't take care of these families anymore. So it's a mess. He has us over a barrel on that one. Um, and then finally, the last one is I cannot be responsible I cannot be a responsible follower unless my husband um, slash father leads responsibly. That's obviously more common in within marriage or in a father-daughter relationship. Here's the truth, John 10.10. 10. Thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus offers complete freedom from the lies of the enemy. He wants every woman to know that there is a way of escape, that the enemy has no power to enslave women in believing things that stop them from demonstrating true freedom and power walking to men and children. Jesus knows that women are the, women are the aspect of the Father's creation that points the way back to the Father. I love that. This is accomplished through women use, using their design and influence to point children and other women back to their husbands and fathers to be ministered to and ultimately led back to God the Father, fulfilling the last verse of the Old Testament. Each woman needs to consider the following action items of Jesus. They're free, they're joyful, they're contentment, they're love, they're radiant, they're confident, they're full of grace. They're full of peace. They're full of stability. That is a real woman. That is a woman by design. The other things are a result of the deceptions. That is the real woman. This is what God says, I need for my son's wife. 
someone who functions free, joyful, content, love, full of radiance of my power, very confident in me, full of grace, peace, and stability. Okay, this confession paragraph is on the back side of your notes. And as you know, my pattern is not to put people on the spot to pray this stuff after a sermon, but to find some time to contemplate what we've talked about and to repent of the lies that you should write down, that you have had the tendency to believe, and get those confessed out. I personally believe you should never ask God for forgiveness. I believe you need to confess and accept forgiveness. And to me, when I'm training people how to pray, there is a huge difference. Asking God for forgiveness is almost like keeping him on the cross. He said, I do forgive you. It is a finished work on the cross. It is done. It is finished. It is complete. Just accept it. So he still wants us to confess it and then accept the forgiveness. Accept what is already true. If Eve would have done that, accepted what already is, she would have been satisfied. That's how we should pray. Accept what already is. Questions or comments? Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events, and we will work to keep the focus on God, Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family-integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org. We thank you for joining us. Get yourself in a bind, lose a shirt off your back. Need a floor, need a couch, need a bus fare.